Welcome back, valued listeners, to the Lose All of Your Money podcast. I'm Silent Rob here with Jay Swa on an emergency episode to talk about a few things, but most importantly, Arizona Diamondbacks. Jay Swa, give me some just initial reactions to you finding out that the D-backs took down the Phillies and are going to the World Series. I don't think I'll be able to evoke more emotion than the fact that the Phillies got knocked out the way they did and just, you know, everyone was so confident, Phillies fans being so confident that they were destined to go to the World Series after going up 2-0 and whatnot. So I'll definitely be pulling for the D-backs. You know, Rangers, they beat the Orioles. Yeah, so not that I thought the Orioles were going to go far and whatnot, but obviously being an Orioles fan, not pulling for the Rangers. And then, you know, Arizona, I've been to Chase Field. You've been to Chase Field a handful of times. Special place, you know, what can I say? Special, special place. I'll say just for anyone who's thinking about rooting for the Rangers, that if you like the Iraq War or CIA war crimes (laughs) or just general Dallas, you know, oil men vibes, then go for it. That's definitely your team. But if you like anything else in the world, you should be rooting for for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah. So frack off, frackers, and we're pulling for the D-backs. It's definitely a D-backs pod. I have not watched a lot of D-backs games, partially the time difference and whatnot, but the handful I have seen, they just look like a nice little scrappy, fun team to root for. And yeah. Like I said, beating the Phillies, that was pretty awesome. I'm always going to root against Philadelphia, but especially when they felt like they were destined or, you know, were meant to be there. And then it just got pulled from the rug underneath them was just, just utterly fantastic. So, so yeah, go D-backs. Rangers, slight favorite, about 58, 57% to 42, 43%. So yeah, pretty wide open, pretty uh, coin flip-esque World Series. I just kind of rooting for six or seven games and a D-backs win. How about yourself? Yeah, I like that. I'm with that. There's just a lot to love about the D-backs, just the randomness of them this season, just like not a team that anyone would have picked. If anyone had them, if anyone knows anyone who had the D-backs making the World Series, let us know. That's amazing. But just a scrappy team, fun to watch, highly managed, tons of steals, best defense, but just not like a, not what you would expect to win ball games in the playoffs, because it's not a powerhouse team. And they're the bullpen, which has been goddamn lights out, got kind of cobbled together late in the season. A lot got cobbled together late in the season. They ended the regular season with four straight losses, like limped in the playoffs. So much unlikely about it. That's really fun. Really young. I'm worried that they played with nothing to lose for a long time, and now they maybe feel like. They have something to lose, but who knows, man. The odds will reflect that. Yeah, and, and baseball is just so random. This is just something – the only way I do bet baseball is with futures. And one of my favorite things, and, and it kind of sucks because this is going almost kind of mainstream now. But you know, all you got to do is get in a dance. Seemingly almost every year, a wild card team makes up the World Series. And this year, both are wild card. Obviously, the new wild card, there's three teams that get in now. But really – you know, it's a 162 game season, and much is made about the teams that won 100 games this year, as none of them won a, a series. I think that's more randomness than like, oh, they're rusty or whatever it may be. But it is highlighted in the fact that all you got to do is just get in the dance and, you know, try to get hot. So it's kind of getting more and more towards uh, who can get hot in randomness contests than it is who's probably the best team throughout the year. 
but you know, that's just part of knowing the rules and whatnot. You know, when we get to March Madness, you know, I bet college basketball throughout the year and it's great to have numbers and all that stuff. But when it comes to tournament time, sometimes you just got to go with your eyes and the team that's hot and whatnot. So yeah, just a reminder of just the randomness of baseball, small sample size. And uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. But also it's destiny and the Diamondbacks uh, will win inshallah. Yes. Both of those things, a little bit of a yin yang thing going right there. Yes. So us now being a month closer to the election, uh, nearly a year away from our Lord Savior, Donald J. Trump, returning back to office. Betting wise, he is still the most likely person to become the next president. The Republican Party has actually moved a little bit closer. If you're just looking at the odds for the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party versus independents, the Republicans have moved to a small, small favorite, minus 103. I'm taking this from bookmaker.eu, also known as Chris around the world outside the United States. So yeah, a little bit of movement since our we had our show last year, or excuse me, last month. But yeah, just kind of inching to it. For the individual, like presidential nominees, not much has changed odds-wise for Trump. He's still a kind of plus 160. But Biden's numbers have come a little bit down. He was above two to one last time. Now he's under two to one. So it's really, it seems like kind of the, the more dart throws are kind of going away and they're kind of just leading more towards the two presumptive nominees in Biden and Trump. So yeah, I'm sure you probably won't see any political ads in Arizona the next year or so, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, I'll be able to block. I have an ad blocker on my Google Glass it's going to keep those out of my face. But no, this list is a little interesting if you guys haven't looked at it, like who's on here and who's extremely long odds versus a little bit less. Like Jamie Dimon, the CEO of, of JP Morgan is listed here. Gavin Newsom, who Jay didn't know who he was last time, is only plus 900, which is some of the slimmer odds here. And then some other people who, you know, I guess a year ago, I would have thought DeSantis had a much better chance. He's at plus 2,200. So, yeah, I don't know. This is a funky list, but I think there's a good bit of money behind these contracts in general. Is that, is that correct? This is like a fairly, a fairly good fast market on the U.S. presidential election. Yes, this is the best that I have access to. I don't obviously bet it, but in terms of like outs that I know of. So, I would try to like put in a fake bet right now and see how much – it says the risk limit is. But yeah, these are the best that I'm aware of. Okay, so yeah, for the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party, you can put $5,000 on it right now. And then for the individual, so let's say you wanted to go with this Gavin Newsom person who I still don't think is real. Yeah, you can put $1,000 on it. So not extremely liquid, but you can, yeah, a little over 1000 so to win 10000 And that's just the bet they'll take. And then you have to wait like a minute to see if they change the odds at all. And then they'll take another to win 10,000 from it. So certainly not chump change, let's put it that way. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So should we transition to something a little purer, the National Football League? Let's do it. First of all, shout out to the NFL, best decision I've ever seen to extend Roger Goodell's contract. Two words on that, me likey. Yeah, yeah. I got my Halloween outfit for the next four Halloweens. I'm assuming he'll give us four glorious years and then ramp things up for a 2028 presidential bid. Very excited for that. Oh, God. President. I know it's a joke, but that's <laughs> fucking painful. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, when you see stuff like what has been happening the last couple of weeks 
and you see like the NFL come out and take like official stances and like, you know, how many universes are we away from like the NFL getting an army and like, <laughs> <laughs> not, not a lot. <laughs> you know, it's just, just the type of power and money that these things are getting. Like how far away is that really? Like, I don't, I don't think it's like logically close, but like, Two long shot parlays hit together. I think the NFL could have an army in 50 years. <laughs> I really think they could. But yes, we'll save that for another episode. But yes, in the AFC, the Chiefs have kind of separated themselves. They're just a little bit more than two to one favorites to win the AFC. Dolphins, two, which I disagree with. I don't think they are the second best team in the AFC. I think it'd be the Ravens, which are kind of just behind them around 650. Are about six and a half to one, seven to one. The Bills are tied with the Ravens with those odds. I disagree with that. I think the Ravens are much better than the Bills and better than the Dolphins. Ravens had their best game of the season last year, blowing out the Detroit Lions, who had only previously had one loss. Yeah, Lamar looked fantastic. Obviously, don't want to overreact to one game, but they brought in a new offensive coordinator this year, and it kind of all clicked on Sunday. Now, I don't think that means run to the window right now and, and bet that at 7-1-ish to one-ish right now, but if I see a couple more iterations of that offense taking place, they have a top 10 offense, top 10 defense, and I think top five coaching in the organization. So definitely somebody I think we'll, we will hear a lot from come playoff time. And I just kind of also just boil down to who do I think has the best chance of beating the Chiefs and right now in the AFC? Clearly, to me, that's the Ravens. The Bills defensively have some major, major issues. They're also kind of having some, some difficulties on offense. They play tonight. They're hosting the Bills, and I think they're nearly 10-point favorites. If that crosses the 10-point line, I would probably actually have to take the Bucks, even though I don't like the Bucks at all. But just there's nothing that the Bills warrant to be a 10 or more point favorite against a somewhat decent team. So yeah, for the AFC, those are kind of the heavy hitters. Bengals down at 15 to 1, 12 to 1 some places. They've gotten off to a slow start, but they definitely have the upside if Joe Burrow is returning healthy. The Jaguars might be finally getting their shit together. They had a kind of high expectations coming into the year. Started a little slow, but the last three games have looked really, really good. You know, I still want to believe it or me see it before I believe it in terms of putting any money behind potential futures or anything of that nature. But I do think they have upside if Trevor Lawrence is able to kind of hit their peak or his peak, excuse me. And then the Cleveland Browns have probably the best defense in football, but they have uh, question marks on offense. Nick Chubb, they're running back out for the year. Deshaun Watson, just kind of weird vibes with him in Cleveland right now. Obviously he's coming off that scandal from a couple years ago. Now he's in a bit of like injury scandal. Apparently the medical team has cleared him. The team thinks he's healthy, but he doesn't feel like he's healthy with his shoulder. Started last game, was playing like absolute dog shit and got uh, cleared of a concussion, but never put back in. So yeah, just kind of a very funky team. I don't know if he's going to play this weekend or not. It looks like the odds is they're four point underdogs against the Seahawks this weekend. I'm assuming they're thinking he's out, but he's also not 100%. So yeah, Chargers, uh, they're the team we always think they have a lot of hype coming into the year and then they just shit the bed. Brandon Staley, I believe, is going to get fired here, if not during the season, but probably, unless they change things around, of course, if not during the season, I think he is one of the first coaches to go early in the off season. And then you have the Steelers down here at like 40 to one, despite being four and two. They're just absolute voodoo artists. I have no clue how they're four and two, 
but Mike Tomlin's been doing this for a long time. I think third longest tenured coach in the NFL. Yeah, he gets a lot out of his guys. They play good defense. They just kind of like hang around. They're a nuisance. And yeah, then they kind of get some bounces to go their way. That's why on Twitter, at least, that's why people kind of like jokingly call them the voodoo team. But yeah, that's the AFC. Yeah, pretty much that's it before moving on to the NFC. Anything jump out to you? Voodoo takes team things with you. Yeah, what happened? What's the story on why I feel like recording this two years ago, the Bills were hot shit Mm -hmm. and Josh Allen was perennial MVP guy, second coming. And stories really changed. Yeah. Yeah. Big thing for this year is the way they're utilizing him. They're intentionally not running him as much to to try to, you know, preserve his career and, you know, health of his brain long-term, but it's kind of making the offense a little more predictable and not having that same success. And then the biggest thing recently, especially the last two games or so is the defense, the defense has some major injuries. So yeah, they're definitely not the force that they once were. Josh Allen's still a really good passer. Steph Diggs, elite receiver and whatnot. But yeah, definitely not. You know, you can just see it with the visualization of those odds at the Chiefs at plus 200, Dolphins plus 500, and Ravens and Bills at plus 700. They are, you know, in that second tier, if you will. And then one thing I mentioned about the Dolphins is they had a historic offense. And their offense still is really, really good, but it was against really mediocre teams. And I've talked about this all year, and you're really starting to see this. They're a very fragile team. They're very top-heavy fragile, and their offensive line is getting some major, major injuries right now. So there's also some question marks, just normal injuries that come with the NFL season. Some of their stars like Tyreek Hill, and we haven't talked about injuries with Tua yet, but that's normally a big thing with him. So like I said, if they're 100%, Dolphins, they are a damn good team, but very fragile. And I think we're starting to see the early cracks in their armor. But the injury, you know, is that going to get worse? Potentially, potentially not. It's kind of the randomness with injuries. But yeah, I would kind of put an asterisk by them being Super Bowl contenders. Every team is obviously dependent upon their their stars being healthy. But I just think the Dolphins have a little higher chance of, of falling under the injury spell, if that makes any sense. I dig it. Take me to that sweet, sweet NFC, dude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. NFC, Niners, Eagles. If you remember last podcast, I said, if you give me Chiefs, Niners, Eagles, I'll give you the field. Still feel that way. Niners coming off two losses. Weird game in Cleveland. Their kicker missed like a 20, or excuse me, a 40-yard field goal at the buzzer to win the game, and they he missed that, so they uh, – they lost that one, and then Monday night, Kirk Cousins. They got Kirk Cousins, dude, dude. They just primetime Kirk, usually notoriously bad on primetime. Niners go down early 7 nothing. I bet on the Niners, and then Kirk becomes a god on Monday night football because, you know, these things happen. But the Niners still had a chance marching down the field in the fourth quarter to win the game, and they just kind of ran out of time through with interception with less than a minute left. I still think the Niners and the Eagles are a cut above. They have the Cowboys as the third best odds at plus 550, and then the Lions at plus 750, and then a huge, huge drop-off to where you see the Seahawks and Vikings being the next two teams. Seahawks at plus 2,000, which is 20 to 1, and the Vikings at plus 3,500 or 35 to 1. I think the Lions should be the third team there, both because I think they're better than the Cowboys and also the Lions' schedule is much, much easier 
They have a Monday night game, first Monday night game in five years in beautiful Detroit. And then I believe they have a road trip again. They have their bye, then they have a road trip against the Chargers, who are a decent team. They'll probably be a one or two point favorite against them. And then they have the Bears twice, the Packers, the Broncos at home, and then a road game at New Orleans, who is not very good. So very easily four and one in those games, if you know, with a potential, of course, of five and zero. Oh, and I think the very worst they'll do in that is three and two. And then they have two games against the Vikings, who's kind of the only team in their division I think has a chance of beating them. And then the Cowboys themselves that they'll play. And I think that will be a vital game for potential playoff home advantage. Home advantage is important for every team, but Detroit Lions and Jared Goff, your boy in general, is notorious for road golf being a thing. And this past weekend, road golf was a thing in Baltimore. Had high wind gusts up to 25, 30 miles per hour, and the Lions did not perform in that. He likes the cozy environment of Ford Field. You've seen that live in person. You've felt the Jared Goff air raid. Yes. Yeah. So I would have that. It's kind of the only thing I really disagree with. Everything else about there's not being a real contender after the Lions and Cowboys, I would agree with. I think the Cowboys are in that second tier. I just don't think they should be the team with the third best odds. I think they should be probably closer to 10 to 1 with the Lions being around 6 or 7 to 1. But that's still something I'm not putting any money behind. I think really this is more of a testament. You look at the Niners, they just lost two straight games and they're still the favorites in the NFC. So I think that's really all you need to know about the NFC is, is A, showing you how relatively bad that is other than the Eagles and also how kind of good the Niners are. Obviously, everything being subject to injuries to the major positions and whatnot. But yeah, pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah, anything about the NFC? No, checks out. I think Chiefs and Niners and Eagles are clear, clear tier ones. And then a pretty significant drop-off to Dolphins, Ravens, Cowboys, Lions, World. So I think your top three team thing still makes sense. But I think it's interesting you said you're not putting futures bets on now. Is there a point in the season when you're when uh, these start to look juicy and you're like, yeah, I kind of want a futures team on each of the, you know, whatever three or two teams that you think have the best odds? Yeah. And one of the reasons for that is just mitigating the injury risk. You know, like as soon as you take major futures positions, you are giving up optionality later, right? So I really make it that I have to wait till I see something I really like to do that. And one of the reasons I wait for that is, like I said, to, to minimize the injury risk, but also to kind of see the playoff format risk. And that's really it's just like game theory, like we were trying to talk about with the baseball. Like who's going to get the buy? Who's going to play Team X or Team Y in the first round? So you kind of are parlaying those two things where it's like, not only am I going to take the Niners if I know that they get the buy and then they're going to play Team X or Team Y, but maybe I don't like Team Y and or Team X that they might play. So it's like a combo. It's like not only am I high on the Niners, but I'm also lower on the two potential teams that could play or things of that nature. So it just fits together like a puzzle, like knowing the playoff format and whatnot and just kind of having that big picture-esque of it. I will say, though, if I had to pick one team outside of the Niners and Eagles and Chiefs, it would be the Ravens. And it really wouldn't be close as to a fourth team to join Mm. that tier. Yeah. So, yeah. A great question. All right, so we moved to college football. 
And, you know, the thing about college football is it's, it's a lot of fun. I do not bet it, but it goes so fast, so, so fast. And we really only have about three or four weeks left of the regular season. And then we kind of get to our final four-team playoff. Next year will be a 12-team, thank God, playoff, which will be absolutely fantastic for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, just amazing playoff football. Two, as a college basketball better, that's just going to keep the spotlight off college basketball in December, which is fantastic. We want to keep the odds makers busy, focusing on that crap. Instead of our, you know, random UMBC versus, uh, you know, God knows some New York State school where we can kind of focus on that while the bookmakers are busy with everybody else. So this year, what it looks like for playoffs, at least, it's going to be Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan, potentially both. If like Ohio, I think if Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan could also still get in just because if you kind of look at the odds there, Michigan and Georgia are kind of so much higher. And I think the same thing could work too. Let's say if Georgia makes the SEC championship game, which is highly likely, and they lose that SEC championship game to a like an Alabama or somebody of that nature. And then I think Alabama and Georgia would get in, the SEC champion and Georgia, vice versa. If Ohio State were to beat Michigan, I think potentially Ohio State and Michigan could get in. So really the big question is who is going to be the third and fourth team Right now, you have the odds at plus 225 for Michigan, Georgia at plus 275, Ohio State plus 700, Florida State plus 750. And then the next three are pretty much tied with Alabama, Washington, and Oklahoma. Alabama, Washington, Oklahoma all around 14 to 1. So I think last, <laughs> last month, I kind of somewhat jokingly talked about Alabama at like 30 to 1. And I just was like, that looks wrong. Not that I bet college football, but now they're down about 14 to 1. And like I said, last podcast, they just have that path to where if they win out and they have not looked dominant or great, but they have that path. And I don't think it's too far-fetched to say the talent, just them being Alabama, to get the opportunity to play Georgia in that SEC championship game. And if they handle biz, they will get in. So yeah, if you look at their schedule right now, they have a home game not this Saturday, but the following Saturday against LSU, which, as you might know, is a big deal down in the Southeast. But at Kentucky, home against Chattanooga, and then at Auburn, which obviously a rivalry game. Auburn isn't, you know, isn't very good this year. They're 0 in four in the SEC, but that is a rivalry game. So yeah, pretty much. I think if they beat LSU, they are going to be representing the West in the SEC championship game facing Georgia in the East. If they win that game, they are in the playoffs. Now, obviously, they will be pretty sizable dogs to Georgia in that game, but still Nick Saban as an underdog, which is not a role we see very often. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Pac-12 coming down a little bit to earth. I think we talked about that last pod. We kind of had Oregon, Washington, USC, up as these contenders and really only Washington is left at that 14 to one Oregon's at 30 to one. And I believe USC has taken two L's since our last episode and I don't even see them on their odd screen. So they're 50 to one or worse. So classic pack 12 hype early and then going fading into the distance before it all breaks up at the end of this year. Any college football takes there, Rob? Have you dipped back into betting any college football or did you leave that in the Midwest? I left that in the Midwest. I've sent several emails to Bet Rivers <laughs> in Illinois to see if I can get my money back. So 
No, I think what stands out to me here is maybe Florida State at nine to one, just because the conference thing makes it a little bit interesting. And then, yeah, I like your call on the repricing of Bama. Good, good use of gut instincts on path there. If you can get thirty to one, you really prefer that over fifteen to one quite a lot. So the price can still move, of course, if it keeps looking good for them. But yeah, this is college football is tough, dude. I, I can't imagine trying to be like a season long futures better in college football. That sounds like a good way to ding, 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 lose all your money. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think college football is definitely best tackled, pun intended, week to week. Maybe next year because of the playoffs. And like I said, that's where you have a new component, which is like the playoff dynamic. Like we talked about with the MLB, where it's like, hey, you just get in the show and then you have an opportunity. But here, there's like such barriers to entry. You have to be in the top four, right? And in college football, you take two losses, you pretty much, except for some very like uber specific scenarios you're pretty much eliminated like it's pretty black and white whereas when now there'll be 12 teams next year and i'll obviously read into how many are tied to conferences and how many are at larges and blah 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 that's where you get a little more game theory in there and you might get a team that sneaks in a little more so yes yeah i definitely feel like this is the one thing i wish i could bet more but it just is the correct call right now in my life to not bet it but definitely one of the things I look forward to the most when I'm able to bet this in the hopefully not too distant future. But yeah, let's get to what I do bet though. And that is college basketball, Rob. What jumps out to you at this future screen that I sent you of the March Madness champions, starting with at the top, Rock Chalk, a Jayhawk with Kansas. We're looking at like, what is this? 13, 15 names all between plus 1100 and plus 3500 so as wide open as wide open can get like <laughs> wider than the presidential stuff wider than yeah it's it's bonkers and it's not like like this bunching is comparatively tight for this whatever 15ish teams that we're looking at from Kansas at plus 1100 down to North Carolina at plus 3500 these are this is a pretty tight group of a, a large number of teams. Yeah. And that actually that's twofold. One, the smaller reason is it actually is a tighter, there is like no runaway dominant team. At least the previews are saying that there's no one coming in here that everyone's like, this team is going to be dominant or whatnot. And then twofold, the bigger reason is because of the tournament. It is six neutral court games you have to beat another team in. So, you know, that's why they call it March Madness, uber, uber random. It's pretty much like the MMLB playoffs. Just now there's six rounds of it. And that's why I think you're seeing the randomness in the MLB this year with two wildcard teams. That's kind of like what we saw with the final four last year where we had FAU who was like an eight or a nine seed, almost lost their first game to Memphis, who I also think was good enough to make a final four run. I think they may be got a buzzer beater or one by one and then they make it all the way to the final four and play San Diego state, who I think was another long shot as well. So yeah, I think it's more of that than anything else. It's just the formats, but yeah, I have not been on my college basketball grind last year. I took it completely off and this year I'm back to it, back to old faithful here, not doing a ton of preview work. 
I'm just going to mostly kind of follow some trusted guys I have and just kind of hit the ground running a little bit, but with the hopes of the following year, then building off of kind of what getting back in the, the ropes a little bit this year and, you know, kind of doing the max prep work prior to next year. But a couple of things I will say about college basketball betting is this is where you don't really want to catch a falling knife as much. A lot of times what I'll do is just find like a team that's really falling in analytics ranks, like a Kempom and some of the other rankings and just bet them until they find their floor. A good example of this last year was Louisville. I think Louisville was projected to be like maybe a top eight, top nine team in the ACC, had a new coach and they just came out and like lost and got destroyed their first like, I want to say eight games. So by like game three, I had a buddy who actually texted me about it and I just kept betting. I didn't even know anything about it. I just bet it, wasn't even betting college basketball at the time. And just by how much they were losing by compared to the spread and every next game would obviously adjust but it didn't adjust you know, enough that I think I won maybe four or five straight bets off that before they finally covered a damn game. But I don't even think they won a game in the ACC last year. So that's definitely one strategy. Also with the transfer and the portals, it's just you know the preseason rankings of teams are very, very rough estimates. So be ready to change them a little bit more so than you would your other sport, especially a professional sport. You know, just kind of if the teams ascending, you maybe ride that and vice versa. For me, a lot of it is I, I just tracked the teams who had closing line value, who, you know, hey, this team got bet up by three points and then they end up winning as five point favorites. They won by 20. And if that happens for a game or two, it's like, okay, this team is probably pretty good. And, and the books, of course, will adjust, but just little things like that, that, that you're going to be able to bet the same angle one or two or maybe even three games, whereas the NFL, you bet it for one game and then there's no secrets in the NFL. Everyone adjusts and you're not going to be able to pretty much use that same angle for another week for most times, whereas college basketball, you can usually milk it a little bit longer with that. But it's weird because the first month or so is often the most profitable just because of the randomness and uncertainty. And then there's a little bit of a correction kind of late December as teams start playing like not as big games before conference play and then conference play kind of resets. And then towards the end of the year, late February, March, it starts kind of getting random again, like teams getting hot and whatnot. So, you know, there are certain strategies that might work for you early in the college basketball season that might not work as well late December, January, and February, but then might come back to fruition come in March and whatnot. So yeah, just an absolute treat betting college basketball. It's my absolute favorite is the one I've had the most success with in the past. And God willing, it will be the most profitable this year as well because the NFL, I have not been very successful. Pretty much just trading money back and forth so far this year. But yeah, any questions about that? And then I'm very curious with your NBA insight as I know jack shit about the NBA. You talk shit about my fantasy team and you could very well be right because I wasn't even intending on playing this year. (laughs) Yeah, on College Hoops... I mean, you said preseason stuff is mostly trash and you're kind of a, you're more of a live better almost like in season, you know, watching flow of games and momentum of teams. But anyone in particular that you're especially bullish on or bearish on preseason, where if someone's scrolling through their guide on cable and they see this team pop up on ESPN2 on a Wednesday night that you might tune in and watch a game, any teams you want to shout out in particular? 
No, no, not really. I haven't, uh, like I said, I haven't done any meaningful research. I do know Rick Pitino is back in, at St. John's, which from like an entertainment point of view could That's be cool. That's great. Love that. Yeah, yeah but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I've kind of like me, I mean, you know me well enough. I'm kind of an all or nothing type person and I wanted to make sure I just knew life outside of gambling and stuff of that nature. I wasn't going to have the proper time to do full prep and whatnot. And, and given that I gave last year off, I decided to come in with kind of just almost intentionally no prep. I mean, I'm going to look at Kempom odds and instead of really watching games, it's really going to be looking at metrics and seeing like, hey, this was the 60th team, let's say, preseason, and now they've climbed up a couple to 48 now or whatnot. So, I mean, obviously I'm going to be watching these games and whatnot, but you know, a lot of the success you're going to find is not necessarily the ESPN games of the week. A lot of times it's going to be you know, kind of – West Coast teams and small, you know, Santa Barbara's or wherever. I'm just picking a random school out of nowhere. But, you know, like the saying amongst betters, you know, all the money's green. You don't get more money betting for or against Duke than you do betting against some of these, you know, small truck stop conference schools. Truck so, stop conference. That's a new that's, one. That's from, Bill, well, no, that's from Bill Walton. That was his dig at the Big Ten. And then, uh, and then yeah. That's amazing now, truck stop conference. Well, the, the he's well UCLA is now going to the Big Ten, so yeah, life comes at yeah life comes at you fast, Bill <laughs> Walton. I'm with you, buddy. I mean, <laughs> hey, I live in Big Ten country, so you were with me that day in San Diego. Such a beautiful day that I found out that Maryland was joining the Big Ten. And honestly, looking back on it now, it's probably the best thing. Yep. So you know, just gotta ride ride that wave, dude. Ride that wave, Bill Walton, who's also from San Diego. Look at that connecting dots. Boom. All right, man. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Sorry. NBA-wise. NBA, give me the, the takes, the top tier. We have Bucks, Celtics, Nuggets, and Suns. Marry one, fuck one, trans one. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm awful at this. So I may not even be successful at losing your money to the listeners. Bucks experiment, really interesting. Dame time. People really like it from what I can tell. Like the fit on paper of Dame and Giannis could be, could be absolutely electric. To me, like this is annoying, but the Celtics puzzle pieces really, really good. Chris Stapps looked awesome in his first game. They're arguably deeper, arguably more weapons. Jalen Brown being your third option offensively. If Chris Stapps can stay healthy, that team is is really, really sick. And then the Nuggets still just get hated on, dude. They don't get their they're just one of those teams that because of Jokic does not have like you know, explosive sports center top 10 type of plays as much as some other players. I think they're probably overlooked. So go to my head. If I'm marrying one, it's probably the, probably the nuggets, but I think the top tier is pretty clear. It would be weird if anyone outside of those top four teams won a championship. I think it's a little more NFL like in that the best teams just really like, you know, have an awesome shot. You can't get all that randomness of bounces in baseball and such and college football in the NBA. I think one of those, I would be hard pressed to honestly put the Suns in that same tier, but yeah, all else equal nuggets or are, are safe money probably. Yeah. Kind of the NBA last couple of years has been way more parody than normal, but it traditionally like pre four years ago, three years ago, it's always been top heavy. And that kind of makes sense, right? Five guys on the court, you know, you get these super teams and whatnot that, that's obviously going to yeah, your top guys with 50% usage and they're mm-hmm. extremely good and predictable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just less inputs 
and just easier way to separate yourself. So yeah, I agree on that. Says a guy who knows nothing about you know the NBA. I do want to say I want Giannis and Dame to be good and just seeing how my life has gone through the first 32 years, that means that they're probably not going to be as good as, as everyone thinks they're going to be. And I, that, that hurts me, but that's just, that's my time on this planet has taught me. Yeah. That's fair. So, Do you know who the Bucks got as their head coach? Cause I, I actually don't, they fired Budenholzer. And who did they replace him with? Yeah, I do know that they fired him, but I do not know. Like I don't know anything about the NBA. So yeah, I do not know. So this is, this is good for the podcast. This is where we should start. This is a good. So Adrian Griffin is okay. their head coach. No idea. Okay. Hope he's good at yeah. coaching, coaching hoops, yeah. but can you win as a, like a, is he a rookie head coach? Seems like he is. That seems tough, but I don't know. It happens before. Yeah. Coaching talent in the NBA, I feel like they foster it for a long time. And you put in your legs before you get up there. So coaches, I feel like, come out of nowhere. And then someone has a good season. They're like, oh, we always knew this guy was going to be a <laughs> great coach. And That's uh, just sports commentary in general. Everything's revisionary in you know 2020. But I'll say, what's his name again? The coach? Adrian Griffin. I've never seen Adrian Griffin coach a bad game. That's right. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so on that note, we'll wrap things up and yeah, we'll maybe do a Turkey Day episode. If not, and it's a busy time of year for all, definitely before for the Christmas time pre-NFL playoffs. We'll do one. Love it. Be well, everyone. Lose all your money in all the creative ways and we'll catch you guys next time. Go D-backs. Oh, 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 oh